If you are not entirely sure what it is that a financial advisor even does, well, you are in good company and you've come to the right place. We're going to tackle that subject on today's episode, episode 57 of the Financial Pathway Podcast. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us on the Financial Pathway Podcast with Nate Skelly, where we discuss important financial questions and give you practical advice to guide you on your financial journey. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing and leaving us a review. You can also follow the Financial Pathway page on Facebook for more helpful financial tips and videos. When I was little, somehow I got it in my mind that drinking alcohol was illegal and that police officers, part of their job was to arrest people that drank alcohol. I don't really know how I came to that conclusion, but I do remember as a six-year-old driving past bars like on our way to school and I would be like, don't the police officers know about bars? Don't they know that's where people go and drink alcohol? Like, what am I missing here? Why don't they just go in there and arrest the people? And of course, it turns out I just, I didn't understand what it is that police officers do. And maybe you've dealt with somebody who's misunderstand what it is that you do in your job. You know, if you're in the medical field and nursing or a doctor and you know, people watch medical dramas and so they think they know what your job is like and maybe you have to explain to them, no, it's not how they portray it on TV. It's not always exciting or as glamorous, maybe. Maybe a little bit more mundane. Maybe you're in a very technical field like IT or engineering and it's tough to explain to people because you have to explain all kinds of terminology and jargon first to even begin to explain what it is that you do. Well, in my line of work in the financial advice space, there is definitely some misunderstandings, some misconceptions about what it is somebody like me does. And so I wanted to take an episode and try to clear that up. And chances are that you know a couple financial advisors, but maybe you have asked yourself the question, yeah, what do they do exactly? And maybe maybe they've told you before. Maybe you've forgotten. Maybe they told you, but it did, still didn't help, and you're still wondering what it is that they do. So hopefully today's episode will clear some of that up for you, give you a better understanding what it what it is that an advisor does and how there's actually quite a wide variety of different people in this industry, different services and different experiences that you may have. So we all have the stereotypical finance guy in our mind. For me, I think of the guy from the Hallmark movie. You know what I'm talking about? Like the jerk that's dating the main character in the movie and he's there in the big city in his corporate office and he's too focused on business and money to see the true meaning of love and Christmas and she eventually dumps him for the kind, handsome guy in a flannel shirt and who runs a dog bakery in a town of 300 people in New Hampshire. And, you know, all right. And we all saw it coming. Um, yeah, we all kind of have that stereotype of that kind of guy. And, uh, you know, when I say, hey, I'm a financial advisor or I'm in finance, you, you may picture me in front of four monitors with all these crazy charts and I'm on my Bluetooth and I'm talking loudly and obnoxiously about shorting stocks and noticing breakthrough patterns and telling people about the latest IPOs. And the reality is that somebody like me, uh, I really don't know which stocks will outperform the market next year. And I don't know what inflation is going to do in the next 12 months. And I don't know when the next recession is going to be. And you might be thinking, well, Nate, you are not exactly inspiring confidence in me <laughs> so far about what it is that you do. So what do I do? 
The analogy I like to give to people is that of an athletic trainer. You think about uh, a professional sports team. You know, they have a team of trainers that work with their athletes. And what does a trainer do? Does he uh, come in and say, here's the best workout regimen. Everybody on the team should employ this workout regimen. No, of course not. He works with people individually to understand the position that they play on the team. Are they, uh, if it's a football team, are they a linebacker? Are they a quarterback? Are they a wide receiver? That's going to really make a big difference as to what they need to work on, what type of moves they're going to need in their position. And he has to understand them as a person. What's their body type? Uh, What do they need to work on? What weaknesses do they have? What strengths do they have? And they tailor and customize their approach and their training to the athlete and to the job that that athlete needs to do. And in a sense, that's what me as an advisor does. And that's why very often I'll use the term financial planner because it more speaks to the approach that I take. But uh, I really want to, in this episode, there's a lot of things we could probably talk about, but I just want to narrow it down to three. Three big misconceptions about what it is that people like me do as financial advisors or financial planners. In fact, actually, number one is let's go ahead and clear up the difference between financial advisor and financial planner. Number one, what's the difference between those two? Advisor, planner. All right. Financial advisor is a very broad term. Technically speaking, there is not a legal requirement you have to meet to use the title financial advisor or financial planner for that matter. So congratulations. You can go ahead and put in your bio that you are also a financial advisor. No, uh, please (laughs) do not do that. Um, Technically speaking, there's no regulations that that guard the use of that term. So that does actually make it difficult to understand the difference. What kind of credentials does somebody have? What services do they provide? Uh, it's, it's pretty broad. And then there's other terms on top of that. Sometimes people uh, will talk about a broker or a wealth manager, or a financial coach, an investment advisor, financial consultant, on and on. So the more terms, the more vagueness, and the harder it is for people to really understand what people in that space do. Now, if people ask me, hey, Nate, are you a financial advisor? I just tell them yes, because it's a term that most people are familiar with, and they really don't want to try to correct them and be like, well, no, actually, I'm a financial planner, and then launch into this long diatribe about the differences between a financial advisor and a financial planner, because then people will just start slowly backing away from me and avoid talking to me ever again, and I don't want that. So I'd say, yes, I'm an advisor, because I know most times people are just speaking broadly. Now, if people ask me what I do, usually I will use the term financial planner. And for some, maybe it seems like semantics. We're talking about the same thing. But to me, there is a big difference. And it's why I prefer to use the term planner. So speaking broadly here, financial advisors primarily deal with investments, whereas planners deal with a wider variety, a wider scope of financial goals and questions. So the way I see it, from my vantage point, there are really three main groups or categories of people in this financial advisor, financial planner space. And this is my observation, so take it for what it's worth. I think most of the people who use the term financial advisor fall into groups one or two. And most people that use the term planner fall into group three. Now, there are definitely exceptions, and there's people that kind of cross over and use a term and fall into a different group. But generally, this is what I've seen. So group one is a group that works mainly on commissions. So these would be people that usually use the term financial advisor. 
they deal mainly with insurance products. So they will have an insurance license that allows them to sell life insurance, annuities, sometimes even health insurance too. And they're primarily looking for people that they can sell a financial product to. Who needs life insurance? Who needs income? Who needs a health insurance plan? And this is the way that a lot of current advisors got into the business. They started this way and then branched out from there. Uh, and the reason a lot of advisors start here is because getting your insurance license is relatively easy. It takes much less time than getting your securities license. Um, it doesn't really require a background in finance, doesn't require a whole lot of training, and it doesn't require a large financial commitment from the employer. So it's an easy entry type of job. Uh, you get hired, take a few weeks, study, pass your insurance license test, get licensed, get some basic training in the process. And then your compensation, because you're commissioned, is mostly, if not entirely, from commission. So you go out, if you're able to sell some policies, then you can do well and stay in the business long enough to kind of build and grow from there. And if not, then you'll very quickly be on to another job. So there's a lot of people that have come and gone through the financial advisor industry in that capacity. Um, not a very high entry barrier, but also it's a difficult job because it, it requires um, it, it requires a certain level of, of sales knowledge and sales success. So these financial advisors will work with lots of different people. They're not necessarily working with ultra high net worth. They're looking for people that can buy one of their products. So, you know, whether it's a whole life policy or an annuity and because it's a commission product, they don't really need a, a large dollar amount in order to make a decent commission on a relatively small sale. So when I think of group number one, these are going to be mainly people like you think New York Life, Northwestern Mutual, um, chances are your local bank, if, that, if you have an advisor there. Most of these people work on commissions. Now, not always and not entirely and not uh, exclusively, but generally, they're usually dealing with insurance products, usually life insurance and annuities, and, um, and they're usually working on commission. Now, group number two works instead mainly on a fee-based approach. So instead of primarily making their money from selling a financial product and earning a cut on that, instead they'll charge a fee, a percentage fee for the accounts that they manage. And so they're going to be dealing mainly with managing retirement accounts because those are larger accounts and ones that you know, people are usually looking for advice and management on. And uh, they can also be compensated through commissions. Uh, but they're not usually pr or primarily compensated through commissions. So these people would have their securities license, which will allow them to manage accounts and uh, sell other types of investments like mutual funds and exchange-traded funds and stocks and bonds and these types of things. Um, and the advisors usually prefer to work on a fee-based approach because clients will pay them on an ongoing basis, again, as a percentage fee of the account that they're managing. And so... Um, most of the communication, most of the relationship with their clients is going to be centered on the investment component, uh, what's going on in the market, planning for their retirement, and uh, accumulating enough for them to withdraw from in retirement and supplement their income. Now, depending on the situation, the advisor may choose in certain spots to go ahead and say, I'm going to sell a, a life insurance product or an annuity to this client and, and earn a commission on that. But that's usually a small percentage of their business. And also, uh, what I found is that advisors in group two, they usually are the ones that are working with the higher net worth clients 
or that uh, try to gear their business toward higher net worth clients, because they are usually being paid a percentage of the amount of assets that they manage, they will prefer to work with those that have a certain minimum amount of money to uh, to manage. And that makes sense, right? Um, they If they're one person, they can only manage so many accounts, so they want to make sure that those that they work with um, is beneficial to their business and, and meets a certain threshold. So when you think of kind of the big names in that financial advice space, the Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, Raymond James, UBS, et cetera, uh, most of the big names, that's how their advisors operate. They can do both. They prefer to stay on the fee-based approach. And, um, and a lot of times they have a certain minimum amount that they're looking for in order to work with them. Maybe it's 250000 half a million, a million, and up from there, there's some that are, are quite exclusive and only work with very high net worth individuals. So financial advisors, when somebody uses that term, that usually means they're in group one or two, not always. Group three, this is where I find a lot of times people that want to use the term planner are in group three, and uh, they work on a fee-only approach, so they don't have the option to sell commission products. And the idea is there, that's that's designed to try to reduce conflicts of interest. If you're selling a commission product and it, there's different commission payouts, you may be tempted to want to steer people towards the one that pays you more than another with a fee-only the compensation, it is what it is. And there's no other um, conflict of interest to try to steer somebody towards a certain product or towards a certain company. Those in group three typically use the term financial planner. They deal mainly with developing a comprehensive plan. Uh, and then they're paid directly by their clients. So they're not paid a commission on from a, a, a product company, from an insurance company or something like that. They're just paid directly from their client. Um they have an investment advisor license, which uh, allows them to be paid for their advice. It's very similar to the securities license that those in group two would take. Not the exact same, but very similar material that, they, um, that they're tested on in their exam. Most of these investors give advice on a wide range of clients' needs. And I think this is probably the, one of the biggest differences here. For those in groups one and two, most of the conversation and communication is around just the investments. Whereas for group three, it's investments, yes, but also other needs. Could be debt, could be insurance coverage, social security, savings, budget, etc. So it's as broad as the client needs it to be. And this is why they use the term financial planner. This is why I prefer to use the term financial planner because it speaks to the scope of what that relationship's going to be. It's not just, hey, you give me some money and I manage it for you and I make sure that I generate you a good return and communicate with you about it. It's we go... A to Z, look at the full financial picture and give you advice on a wide range of goals, not just investments. Um, now, some advisors in this category, they choose to be paid a flat dollar amount. So instead of charging a percentage, which by the way, most fee-only advisors charge a percentage fee similar to those in group two, but some also are paid through a flat dollar amount. Could be one or the other or both. Um, so that means that maybe they, they charge hourly for their services like a lawyer would. They may do like a monthly or quarterly subscription, uh, just a flat yearly cost. So most advisors, planners in this group do have a minimum amount of assets they require to work with clients similar to group two. But the reason that they also may offer a flat dollar amount 
is to make their services more accessible to people regardless of how much investable assets they have. So usually group three, fee-only advisors, fee-only planners, uh, typically you're going to see them working with smaller firms, uh, firms that don't have the name recognition of national firms. They may be solo, independent like I am. Uh, this group is probably the smallest by number, I would say, um, much smaller than groups one and two, but it is growing. And what we're seeing is that a lot of these firms are starting to kind of consolidate and merge and grow. And I think in the next five to 10 years, you're going to see some very large firms nationwide that operate in this capacity. Now, this leads me to, to misconception number two, and that is that you need to be rich to have a financial advisor. I think a lot of the hesitation around consulting a financial advisor comes from the the unsure, just being unsure of what to expect. I mean, money's really personal. It's an uncomfortable topic to begin with. And then to add to that, I mean, none of us likes rejection or even the prospect of rejection. So if you feel like there's a possibility that I'm going to reach out to somebody for help and then they're going to tell me, no, you don't have enough money for me to work with you, then you just feel like, well, I'm just going to save myself the potential embarrassment. Why, why even try? Why even go down that road? And because people also have that stereotype of the financial advisor as the guy who's out there, he's picking stocks, he's day trading, he's giving tips on how to beat the market. Well, it would make sense that he's working with people with a lot of money. And we all tend to think that people with a lot of money means people with more money than I have. Even people that are millionaires, they view a lot of money as $5 million, You know, So wherever we're at, we kind of feel like, well, you know, I'm not really rich. People with more money, they're the ones that are really rich. So as I mentioned, some advisors, they do have a minimum amount required to work with them. So I, I understand that concern. It is a valid concern. However, there's lots of advisors out there, lots of options. And there's different payment methods, like I said, that are designed to make advice more accessible. So if you're looking for advice, chances are you're going to find somebody who's wants to work with you and who's got a system in place that makes it mutually beneficial to work with them. Now, especially if your financial goals are related not to investments, but to you know managing your debt, trying to buy a house, saving for your kid's college, trying to buy the right types of life insurance, health insurance, etc., then it really does make sense to work with an advisor who charges a flat fee or a retainer or an hourly because then that's more geared to what you're looking for. So the example I often give is, is you think about like music lessons. My wife teaches piano, so this just makes sense to me. You imagine you wanted to get your kid piano lessons. They'd never taken piano before. But every teacher you talked to told you, no, I only take advanced students. I'm only looking for students that can play Beethoven's Fifth and, you know, they're like concert level. And you'd say, well, what's up with that? It doesn't make any sense. Like, how do you even get into this space if no teacher wants to teach my kid the basics? How are they ever going to be advanced? Where's the teacher that's going to take me from a beginner to advanced? And, um, and that's what you're going to see in the advisor space. Some advisors want to work with the advanced. They want to work with the high net worth, and that's okay. Some others want to help the people that are at the beginner stage and help them get to that advanced stage. And so you just have to find the ad ad advisor and service that's in the space ready to, to help you with the needs that you have. So you don't have to be wealthy. That's what I'm trying to say. That's a misconception. Don't, have a lot of, don't need to have a lot of money to find an advisor who will work with you in a mutually beneficial way on the goals that are important to you. Third misconception, lastly, is it worth it to pay an advisor when I can just invest my money for free? I think the way a lot of people are framing this question about oh, a financial advisor, not a financial advisor, is 
pay money or don't pay money. And really, that's a poor way to think of it. And I don't blame people necessarily for thinking this way, but it's not the reality. No one invests for free. That's not a thing. No such thing as a free lunch. Now, there are places where you can go and invest for a very low cost, but there always is a cost. And it's just that most of these costs are hidden. You're just not going to see them unless you really dig and look. So, for example, a lot of the research has shown a lot of people, a significant number of people, think that their employer retirement account is free, like their 401k. They're like, I don't pay for my 401k. It's free. Well, what they mean by that is they don't pay anything out of their paycheck. You know, they don't get a bill in the mail for their 401k. But there most definitely are costs involved. I mean, a 401k is not free to run. There's record keeping. There's advice for the plan. There's administration. There's the cost of the funds themselves running the funds that people invest in. There's a lot. There's a lot of layers to it. Or maybe they have like a whole life insurance policy, like a, a like maybe a, a variable universal life policy where some of the money is invested in funds inside of that life insurance policy. Or they have an annuity that guarantees a certain payout at retirement. And they're like, they're free. I didn't. I just invest my money and I don't pay anything else for, for it. So it must be free. Well, it's nothing can be farther from the truth because of course, those insurance companies are not they're not running a charity. They're not nonprofits. They they they're in business to make money and they have costs as well. In fact, a lot of those products have very high commissions and fees that are built in if you'll read the fine print, but it doesn't seem costly because it's baked into the product. It's 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 part of the feature of that particular product. You're not paying it out of pro, uh, out of pocket. You're paying it within the product itself. So, and and Beyond that, you say, well, Nate, I'm, I just manage my own money. I, I've got a, an account at Schwab or Vanguard, and that's probably your lowest cost option, but the brokerage still makes money. I mean, Vanguard, Schwab, all these places, Fidelity, they're, they're in business to make money too, and they make money off of you in different ways. They will lend out your cash balance. They will charge commissions on certain types of trades. They will get paid for routing your trades through particular companies. Um Anytime you make a trade, you have to remember that there's a difference between what you're selling it for and what the other party is buying it for or vice versa. And that difference, that, that markup goes to a company that's facilitating the trade. So there's lots of costs still there, albeit lower ones, but you're not going to get away from costs is what I'm saying. So being fee conscious and being aware of the fees that you're paying, it's really important. In fact, on the whole, I think most investors are just not aware of the fees they're paying. They just They've never taken the time. They've never been shown. They've never been told. But the goal in investing is not necessarily to pay the least possible fees, but rather to get the greatest value for what you are paying. And we understand that intuitively in life. You don't say, give me the cheapest house, give me the cheapest car, give me the cheapest clothes. You say, what's the best value for what I'm paying? And that's the same with um, the financial advice space. So to go back to the athletic trainer analogy, is it worth it for a professional organization to pay for trainers for their athletes? Well, that depends. If the trainers are helping their athletes get to the next level and have a competitive advantage in their sport, well, then yes, absolutely. But if the trainer's just coming in and giving like a, a cookie cutter sort of like, hey, everybody just do this, things that they already know how to do, well, then maybe not. So... If you're looking for somebody who's just going to, you know, double your money in 6 months, so they're going to, you know, tell you how to find the next Amazon or, or there's plenty of people out there that are going to be happy to make outsized promises and take your money, you know, so you can chase a 
a, a wild goal. My advice would be don't fall for that. Don't go down that road. People don't know where the market is going any more than you or I do. Really, what you want to look for is somebody who's going to help you organize your finances, who's going to be a trusted advocate, who's going to help you to build wealth slowly, and um, and partner with them for the long term. So maybe you've been thinking about talking to a financial advisor, but you've been worried about making that commitment, or you're worried about wasting your time or wasting their time. Here's what I would tell you. If you reach out to me, well, I'll tell you this person. I can't speak for every advisor. If you reach out to me, you're not wasting my time, and I'm not going to waste your time. Because, I, 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 and I've told this to many, many people, I'm not for everybody. It doesn't make sense for everybody to work with me, and I've told many people that have reached out to me, no, don't work with me. Work with somebody else, or you don't need me. You need this type of help, or this type of program, or this type of person. Um, but you won't know until you have that conversation. And, and what I usually recommend is, Hey, yeah, reach out to somebody like me, see what it is that I do, see what services I offer, see what it's like, what, you know, what, what, what's, what's the value there, but talk to other people as well, you know, research it, go into it. Like you're, you're studying a a, a new field and you'll walk away armed with knowledge and be much more confident in your decision from there. So anytime you feel like reaching out, and getting more information and and understanding more about what financial advisors, financial planners do, um, I'd be happy to help in that area. So at the minimum, I hope that cleared up some things for you. I hope you better understand what people in the financial advisor space do. And uh, thanks for listening. I'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.